Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Wednesday, October 17th, 2018. On today's episode, we're going to talk about the latest film and TV news and get some life advice from Chris Evangelista in the new advice corner. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Serretta, and joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Senior Writer Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? And writer Chris Evangelista. Hello. Okay, so I believe it was last week we did a mailbag segment where we we gave some life advice, and uh, somehow it came about the idea of doing a segment called The Advice Corner with Chris Evangelista, and uh, that kind of took off. We actually got uh, some emails from you guys wanting to get your life advice from Chris, so so we're doing it. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. I'm, I'm I'm very excited about this, actually. So please keep it up right in. Yes. So if you have questions for Chris and, and to be answered uh, in his life advice corner, you can send them to Peter at SlashFilm.com. And uh, if people like the segment, we'll, we'll keep on doing it. I feel like we need a disclaimer with this where it's like, you need to, like, I don't want to give advice. And then someone goes out and does something terrible. And then they blame, like, it should be like, you don't have to listen to this advice. There's nothing uh, binding about it. This is all a suggestion. We need some sort of disclaimer to, to cover my ass in case someone, someone misinterprets my advice and, like, goes out and robs a bank or something. And then they try and blame me. Well, there, it's not like this first uh, piece of advice is, is low stakes, Chris. This one is about this guy's entire future. So, uh, so, 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 uh, prepare your words, uh, you know, properly. Okay. Uh, so basically, uh, Jacob C from Mississippi writes in, uh, that he's debated for a while on whether or not he needs to go to college to be a filmmaker. Uh, quote, I am currently taking a break from college now to think it over. Uh, I'm not sure if the thousands of dollars in student loans and such is worth it. It, uh, worth education I could get myself from research and self-application. Plus, I also have heard that getting jobs in that field is similar t- to writing in that no one looks at your GPA or what college you went to. They look at your previous work. 
So Jacob wonders, uh, can you answer this question on uh, should he go to college to become a filmmaker? That's a tricky one, Jacob. Uh, Let's put it this way. You don't you have almost as much of a good chance as becoming a filmmaker if you don't go to college as you do if you do go. I mean, I would never want to discourage someone from going to college because, you know, education is important. But you you went to college, right? I did. I didn't graduate, though. So and look at me now. But um, (laughs) dishing out advice on a podcast. Yes. (laughs) Let me put it this way. I I had a very good friend who went to uh, the University of the Arts, uh, which is a art college in Philadelphia. And he went for filmmaking. He got a degree and now he is unemployed. So the college really didn't do much for him. Um, you know, you can, you know, that's not to say college doesn't work. I mean, like people like Martin Scorsese, they went to film school and it helped them greatly, but that was also a different era. I would say, you know, what you need to do is make connections and college definitely can help with that, but it's not, you know, the be all end all. So I would say if you're having doubts and if you don't want to spend the money and, you know, don't, you know, don't go back, <laughs> just blow it off or go back. You know, it's, it's whatever you feel comfortable doing. I'm, I'm a big believer in doing what makes you uh, happy. So if, if going back to college is going to make your life better then yeah, do it. But if not going back would make you happier, maybe consider it. You know, there's nothing, especially in, like if, you know, if you wanted to be a doctor, <laughs> then yes, I'd say, you absolutely need to stick to college, but you know, filmmaking, it's a, it's a whole different game. It's really about what you know and what your, your talent level is. I, I mean, you do make a good point. Like, uh, you know, Ben and I do live in Hollywood and I'm sure we both have a bunch of friends who have tried to get into filmmaking. And, uh, from what I can tell, the biggest advantage of going to a college for filmmaking is making all those connections that you, that you spoke about. And, uh, my my friends who have you know progressed in the ladder is because of people they knew and connections they made. So uh, I would say this: if you are going to go to a college for filmmaking, try to go to a place that people are actually going to go out of there and move to a place in this world like Hollywood, where they're going. You know, go to school. Where people are actually planning on actually doing this thing and not, uh, you know, someplace in middle America where these people probably aren't going to move to a location where filmmaking is a, you know, possibility, I would say. Yeah, like a lot of people, you know, a lot of filmmakers who did go to film school, they went in, you know, New York and L.A. So, you know, that that's a whole different game. If you're going in, you know. Kansas, uh, you know, no offense to Kansas, but it's, it's, it probably, you're probably going to get a different level of education there than you would at like a, a New York or LA film school. Yeah. And, uh, uh, Ben, do you have any thoughts on this? Uh, I would just say, especially if you're taking a year off right now from college or at least a break from college, I would say try to get into circles right now of people who are making shorts or whatever in your area um, and then sort of see how it goes, make those connections while you're not even in college and see if you can sort of parlay that into finding 
the right kind of people who will get you involved with the right kind of projects. And then maybe you can move to, you know, New York or LA or something from there without necessarily needing to go back to college. Because yeah, I think, I think you guys have said it very well. The the connections are really what's important here. Yeah. And I, I, I know this is probably the most obvious thing and I know a lot of big filmmakers say this, but you have, you know, the tools to make a film in your pocket. You know, I've, I've gone to the theater and been in a full theater full of people watching a film that was shot on an iPhone. Um, so, you know, don't, I think with, with anything, uh, I, I know we had this talk about uh, getting into film writing and it, the same applies there too. I don't wait till someone can tell you, you can do it. Don't wait until you have the proper tools to do it. Just do it. You know, if you, if you do it and you love doing it, keep on doing it and, uh, you know, find a way to, to make it so you can do what you love for a living is what I would say. And I, like, I really think the entry point into filmmaking is very low at this point. Uh, it really is about connections and there, there are a bunch of ways to get those connections. But, uh, so Chris, the bottom line is go, I guess your advice was go if you want to go. (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's, you know, uh, and I think what Ben said is, is a great point, too, where if you're taking a year off, try and make those connections now. Try to intern somewhere. Try to, you know, get your foot in the door without college. And if you do, there's your answer right there. Like, if you can make those connections during this year off without the assistance of college, I feel like that's your answer, that you don't really need to go back. But if you're struggling for a whole year, maybe you should consider going back just for the connections. Do what's best for you, young man. That's that's my advice. <laughs> well, I, I think he can't go wrong there, unless what he believes is best for him is the wrong thing. Is robbing yes, a like, bank? Yeah, robbing a bank. <laughs> Don't do do what's best for you as long as it's legal. Let me put it that way. <laughs> okay, let's get into the news that Jason Blum, who heads up uh, Blumhouse, who recently was asked why Blumhouse has yet to have a female director. Uh, Chris, tell us about his horrible answer. Yes. Uh, let me preface this by saying I really like Blumhouse. I really like what Jason Blum does. I think he's you know, a very good producer. But this is a very um, misguided answer. Uh, you know, During an interview, someone asked Jason Blum, you know, why, with all the Blumhouse films out there, why has there yet to be a female director and his answer boils down to, first of all, he says essentially there aren't that many female directors to begin with, which is, you know, a common misconception because there are, they just don't get hired. He, but he apparently doesn't know this. And then he adds, uh, not only are there not a lot of female directors, he says they're the female directors that are out there are quote, less inclined to do horror. So, this is, you know, again, I, I like I like you, Jason Blum, but this is a very wrong-headed answer. He's basically just assuming that f- female directors have no interest in horror, which is not true. And you know, they're they're out there. They just want the chance. They want someone like Jason Blum to give them that chance. And he apparently doesn't realize that. Oh, I mean, there's even female directors that are like. Uh are big names, I think, in the horror space. Like, I, I don't understand how he could not understand that there is a, a whole sex of directors out there that uh, are probably very interested in doing a Blumhouse fo- uh, movie. 
Yeah, it's very weird. I don't know. I, you know, to his credit, he does mention uh, two female filmmakers he reached out to. One is Jennifer Kent, who directed The Babadook, and the other is Lee Yaniak, who directed uh, Honeymoon, which is a very good but very underseen indie horror film. And uh, this, uh, apparently the scheduling... Uh, well, apparently Jennifer Kent just didn't want to work with him. That's what he makes it sound like. And and with Lee Yaniak, the scheduling didn't work out. But, you know, that's only just two names. There's a whole world of female filmmakers out there. And, you know, I really hope this is sort of like a, a wake-up call and he sees the reaction that this article is getting because I'm seeing pretty much everyone dunking on him on Twitter right now about how wrong-headed this answer is. So I hope it, you know, it's like a wake up call and he realizes that, Oh, there are plenty of female filmmakers who want to do horror. They just need that opportunity. Yeah. I, I, I hope this bad press uh, maybe bullies him into looking at this and uh, reassessing uh, the situation a little bit. Uh, but let's move on to fast and the furious. The producer of the original series is suing universal over the Hobbs and Shaw spinoff. Ben, you're a big f- fan of this franchise. What do we know? Yeah, so Neil Moritz, who is the uh, the franchise producer, he's produced every Fast and Furious movie going all the way back to the first one in 2001, has sued Universal uh, Universal Pictures because they are making this Hobbs and Shaw movie, and they've basically booted him off of the production. So just to to be clear, this is not like a full-on sob story uh, where the big bad studio is, is making a bad move. It seems like... Um, from what from what I can understand in these court documents, uh, it, it basically is Universal offered Neil Moritz a substantially smaller fee than what they previously said they were going to give him for this movie. He ended up balking about that and, and not being happy about that. And then they basically were like, OK, fine. Now you're kicked off of the movie. So he is suing them for a, a breach of an oral contract, he says. So I guess he didn't get a, a specific deal in writing for the spinoffs for this movie uh, or for this franchise rather. So that is, uh, I mean, that's one of those things where like, I, I certainly don't want to cast any blame on any one particular party here since I don't know all of the ins and outs of this case. But as a general rule, it's a really, really good idea to get all of your deals in writing instead of relying <laughs> on an oral agreement. And I'm, I'm really like not trying to be snide with that remark. Like I've gotten burned by, you know, contracts and stuff before. So I, I just feel like uh, there's, there's a way to go about getting these deals done. And it just sounds like they might have probably because Marissa's has had such a good relationship with Universal in the past that maybe he just got lulled into a false sense of security or something. I don't know. That That's speculation on my part. But um, Ben yeah, is this, obviously still upset that uh, when I that he's not making the million dollars I verbally offered him when he came aboard. <laughs> yeah, it's uh <laughs> <laughs> yes, Peter. Peter offered me a, a big, a big payday, and uh, I forgot to check the the fine print of my contract. Um, but uh, yeah, this is kind of a bummer because Universal plans to make two more Fast and Furious movies to close out the main storyline, and there obviously there's a bunch of potential for more spinoffs and maybe sequels to the spinoffs beyond that. And Neil Moritz has been like one of those guys who's instrumental in the success of these movies right there along with you know justin lynn and, and chris morgan the writer producer um wait so, do, you, do you actually really believe he's instrumental in the success of this franchise like well, i mean he was involved early on but looking at his credits and everything he's been involved with has been kind of 
Yeah, I, I, I definitely see, you know, looking at his IMDb, it's not like he's been involved with a ton of great movies, but I, I just feel like anybody who's been involved in a franchise like this from the beginning probably knows the franchise really well and has built the relationships between the cast and the crew and, you know, all of the, the different people um, involved in making the movie. And it is really, uh, it's it's not necessarily like they're maybe this is hard for me to say because I don't know exactly what Neil Marith does on every set of these <laughs> movies, but I'm not, I'm yeah. not saying suggesting necessarily that he is offering ideas that are, have been incorporated into the franchise or anything like that. But in terms of a producing standpoint, I feel like somebody who's been on board from the beginning um, is probably really important in terms of just like keeping all of the relationships smooth and keeping everything in motion yeah. uh, for a big franchise like this. And I mean, even if he wasn't contributing in a big way to, you know, the franchise in in recent years, this franchise wouldn't exist, uh, you know, if he wasn't involved in the that that first film. Yeah, so. and this has made you know over a billion dollars for Universal, so I, I can understand where he's coming from. Um, he's particularly furious right now, and uh, I, I think he probably feels justified in that anger. Um, so we'll have to see where this goes. I don't think that this is going to impact the production of Hobbs and Shaw, which is actually shooting right now. And that movie is scheduled to hit theaters uh, next August. So I think, you know, regardless of what happens with the outcome of this case, it's probably either going to get settled out of court or um, Universal will have to pay him some sort of, you know, millions of dollars in in compensation or something like that uh, when it's all said and done. But it doesn't look like it's actually going to impact the movie itself other than, you know, obviously him not being involved with it. Yeah. Uh, let's move on to our next story, and that is that the real world is getting rebooted. But uh, strangely enough, it's not going to be on MTV. It's going to be on Facebook Watch. Chris, what do we know? Uh, yeah, so back in the day, back in my day, before reality shows were so prevalent as they are today, there was the real world, which is on hand TV. And it was about seven strangers living together who uh, stopped being polite and started getting real. And, you know, it ran for a very long time. It launched in 1992 and it, it ran for uh, several years. And now it's coming back. MTV is rebooting it, but not on MTV, as you said. Um, this is part of a, a plan that we learned about in the summer where MTV is planning to reboot several of their shows, including Daria and uh, Aeon Flux, stuff like that. But uh, none of these shows are going to be on MTV themselves. Itself. They're all going to be uh, basically farmed out to streaming services. And the first one that we know of now is the real world, which is going to Facebook watch, which is Facebook's uh, somewhat new streaming service. And, um, you know, it's basically going to be the same show, you know, young people living together in a city and, you know, all that stuff, but it's now going to be on Facebook watch. And a bunch of different personalities that might, you know, conflict with each other. Um, I, I don't, I I have not watched anything on Facebook Watch yet. So I'm wondering, you know, is there really an audience for a real world reboot on that platform? Uh, ben, do you have any uh, experience with the real world in your past? Uh, I have extensive experience with the real world because <laughs> I actually worked on that show for a little while when I moved to L.A. Not necessarily on the set or anything like that, but I was uh, a production assistant who would basically drive the people who were auditioning for the show, I would pick them up at the airport in LA and take them to their interviews, which were out in the valley somewhere. And uh, just I worked for the production company 
that was responsible for real world. So I, I've never seen an episode of the show, but it was just like work when I needed work kind of thing. So, uh, yeah, I, I've met a handful of the people who were on multiple seasons of the show just because I worked on that show sort of off and on for a little while during their audition phases. But, um, yeah, Facebook watch. I mean, it's, it's a pretty new thing. They have that new show with, um, Elizabeth Olsen that has been getting good reviews. I haven't actually had time to watch any of that yet. Uh, sorry for your loss is the name of that one. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I guess, uh, the the fact that that show is getting good reviews has meant that people have to take Facebook Watch seriously as a service. Um, it, they, I think James Ponsel, the guy who did, did uh, Spectacular Now and movies like Smashed and things like that, had directed a handful of those uh, the episodes of that show. So it's it's not like it's just some scrub network that nobody is is paying attention to. I feel like the content bubble is ever expanding and Facebook watch is just a new player in that. So um, yeah, whether or not anybody tunes in for a real world reboot remains to be seen, but uh, I feel like it's too early to come, you know, to write them off completely. I remember loving the real world in the first few seasons of that show on MTV. I just grew up kind of in that right age range to, to be watching that. And as the seasons went on with most reality series and real world was like, one of the first reality shows ever. So the the first couple uh, seasons of that show were before they figured out that reality shows could be fake. <laughs> and it was a lot more real and a lot more interesting, I think. Uh, maybe not as dramatic and as, uh, you know, as uh, consumable, binge-watchable, I guess, as it had become uh, when they've moved it to Vegas and, you know, cast all sorts of uh, crazy people in it. But uh, I I was never interested in the later seasons of The Real World. I always liked the earlier seasons when it it was actually more real. Like, I I remember watching a, a later season and, like, they would, like, bring all the cast to, like, get different jobs, like fake jobs for the show. By fake jobs, I mean, like, arranged jobs for the show. I don't know. It just was not my thing. But I wonder if Facebook Watch... Do you guys know... I know you guys have not watched any Facebook Watch stuff. But I'm assuming there must be some kind of social component to this where you can kind of, like, chat about the show you're watching while you're watching it? Uh, Yeah, I think there is that again yeah i haven't watched it but i think there is going to be an interactive element with this because of uh you know it being on facebook technically but like this is a weird thing to me because aren't most young people like haven't hasn't isn't facebook like three social networks ago for you know the up-and-coming generation i feel like everybody's on snapchat or something it's and even that is like i feel like i'm old just suggesting that because there's probably like six things that have come out since snapchat that people are already on but um i I just don't feel like younger people are watching or are spending any time on facebook am i wrong about that i mean i think you're right which is so strange to me because i feel like i i got into facebook after you know all that whole college generation got into Facebook and I felt like Facebook was the social network for younger people. And now Facebook has gone from that to the Facebook, uh, the social network for like my dad and parents. So like, I I feel like I, I I totally, it totally bypassed me. Um, But I don't know. I, I don't think you can create something like this for Snapchat because then it would be gone. 
within a day. You would have to consume it within the day, and then it would be it would non it would not exist ever again, right? Who knows, man? <laughs> well, it's a wild it's the wild west out here. Yeah, but I, I I do think the component of being able to socially interact with the show, people in the show, people watching the show, it, it makes sense for a reality show like Real World. Um, so I don't know. Well, to see, I'm sure none of us will end up watching this, but I'm I'm actually curious. I actually almost like want to see the first episode. Uh, but let's move on to Annabelle three. Uh, Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmiga are coming back to play the Warrens in the spinoff sequel. Ben, what do we know? Yeah, so uh, Wilson and Farmiga play Ed and Lorraine Warren in the Conjuring universe movies, and basically they've they've been largely confined to the Conjuring and the Conjuring Two at this point. But they've skipped out on the Annabelle franchise and the Nun, but that is about to change because a new report yesterday said that those two are going to be reprising their roles again in the upcoming Annabelle 3. So we know that that movie uh, basically follows the titular possessed doll, and it's going to be in the Warren's artifacts room, which we've seen in the Conjuring movies. Uh, It's supposed to be sort of the safe place where the character, the demonic doll, is not going to be able to wreak havoc. But of course, she does. She awakens the room's evil and uh, begins to target the Warren's 10-year-old daughter. And in addition to that, there's a a babysitter character. There's the daughter's cousin is also in the movie. And so it sounds like uh, Wilson and Farmiga are going to be playing supporting roles in this movie. So they're not going to be the full-on leads of it, but um, they are going to have a presence in an Annabelle movie for the first time, really, or a significant presence anyway. Now, I have only seen the original Conjuring film. I have not watched any of the spinoffs. I have not watched the sequel uh, Chris, I know that you have watched all of them, right? I, I have not seen the Nun yet, but I've seen all the others. Um, after going to the Warner Brothers Horror Made Here uh, Halloween event and experiencing the Conjuring Universe uh, house maze, uh, I'm actually interested in, in jumping back in and like experiencing this whole franchise. Uh, are any of the spinoffs and sequels worth watching? Uh, I like The Conjuring 2 a lot, and uh, oddly enough, the the Annabelle sequel, Annabelle, whatever it's called, Annabelle, Annabelle Cre- Creation, yeah, is actually better than the first Annabelle movie, which is kind of bad. So, uh, you know, <laughs> there is that, whatever you want to make of it. But can, I, I, can I, I skip I, the first Annabelle? Will I understand? Yeah, you can skip it because the, the second one is technically a prequel, so you can skip it. And I don't know. They're fun. They're fun movies. And my favorite part of the Conjuring universe is uh, Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmiga's characters. So I'm actually more excited now for this this film because I know they're in it. Yeah, I, I love them in the original, and I, I I know I was excited to see the Annabelle movie, and then when once the bad reviews hit, I just like kind of lost interest in the entire franchise. But uh, now with Halloween season upon us, I, I might uh, uh, have to make my girlfriend Kitra, who has never seen Conjuring, uh, dive into this universe. So, uh, but let's let's move on to our, our last story, and that is for a potential They Live sequel. Uh, Chris, what do we know? Um, Yeah, so uh, John Carpenter has been forced to stop playing video games for a few weeks as he promotes the new Halloween movie, (laughs) which, uh, you know, he's the executive producer and he did the the score for it. So he's out there doing interviews for it. And as is the case, whenever John Carpenter does an interview, people ask him about uh, potential remakes and sequels of his classic films. And someone asked 
about uh, They Live. And during an interview, he not so subtly hinted that a They Live sequel could be, quote, closer to reality than you think, unquote. And he also said, uh, we'll just have to see. So, you know, this is very vague. He could be, you know, having uh, having a laugh. But it's worth noting that a few weeks ago, he also teased pretty much in the same manner a um, Prince of Darkness TV series. And in this same new interview that was brought up and he confirmed that that really is in development. It's just not uh, final yet. So it seems like, you know, if he was being honest about the Prince of Darkness TV series, he's probably being honest about this potential uh, They Live sequel. We just don't know really what it is or what it's going to be yet. Carpenter's not one of these people that likes to, you know, tease all these things. He's not like Kevin Smith where, you know, he's every week he's talking about some new project that never ha- actually happens. Uh, he, he's very blunt and real, I think. So I would think if he's hinting at this, that there's something behind it, right? Right. Yeah, I, I do think he's, you know, like you said, he's he's he he's uh he doesn't really bullshit people. So I think he's telling the truth. I just think it's not, you know, it's not there's not really like the ink isn't dry yet on the on the contract. So we're gonna have to wait and see what it is. But it sounds like there is some sort of they live sequel or follow up in the works. What could you do in a they live sequel? Like, uh, isn't Roddy Roddy Piper dead? He is dead, but, um, you know, They Live was very much rooted in the 80s and Reaganomics. But unfortunately, because uh, time is a flat circle, we seem to be back in the same uh, crappy scenario America was in in the 80s, or we're headed there at least. So uh, the, the film is oddly more relevant now than it's ever been. So you definitely could take its ideas and apply it to the 21st century. I just don't know if it's going to be new characters or if they're going to try and make it connected to the first movie or not. I really don't know. See, I'm, I'm wondering if it's more going to be more of like a remake or reboot than a sequel. Cause I also wonder, like, do you think, do you think if you went to a high school these days and asked how many people there had seen, you know, they live, how many of them, like what percentage do you think of like the senior class would say they have seen, they live. I don't know, man. I mean, I don't, Kids these days, I don't know what they like. I know when I was in high school, I would have known what they live was, but yeah. I was also a weird young man, so I don't, I don't know what other people would think. Ben, do you have any thoughts on they live? Uh, I it's one of those movies that I think I heard about the notorious or the the infamous fight in that movie before I actually saw the film, and I sort of went into it thinking that it was going to be a bad movie. And you know, Roddy Roddy Piper, God rest his soul, was not the best actor, but I, I think there's a lot of really good ideas in that movie, and I think it's sort of one of those things that that sort of sneaks its way in. It it, it uh, subverts or it subverted my expectations anyway. Um, when I saw it, I, I thought it was just going to be some you know sort of one of Carpenter's lower lower spots based on you know the clips I had seen of these guys brawling in an alleyway in this fight that went on forever. Um, but I, I think there's a lot of really really smart stuff in that film, and I, I definitely think that they could mine that for a lot of the same uh, larger thematic points in 2018 or 2019. But um, like the casting is so important and it's like, what are they going to do for casting a lead role? Are they going to well, go gonna, for somebody? It's obviously going to be Dwayne Johnson. 
Because <laughs> I mean, it sounds like uh, uh, John Carpenter and Dwayne Johnson are are not exactly on the same page because uh, Dwayne Johnson's supposed to be doing a remake of Big Trouble in Little China, and I think John Carpenter has been like, yeah, I don't know anything about that, basically. Um, so even though Dwayne Johnson has been like, Carpenter's definitely going to be involved. So I, I don't know. It seems like there there's some miscommunication there, but so I, I don't know if he would be the one uh, the one cast. But um, yeah, would you would they try to cast somebody who's like? purposefully not the best actor to sort of like so john cena <laughs> maybe i i don't know uh chris who, who would you want to see star in a they live sequel uh, you know dwayne johnson actually would be perfect for this it, it kind of sucks that he is attached to big trouble in little china because first of all i don't think that actually needs a, a remake or a sequel or whatever they're doing but this would be a better movie for him um because he's not the best actor but he does have that same sort of uh meathead attitude that would work well it would be really awesome if he did that because it would be a project that actually said something and it seems like over the past three four five years Dwayne Johnson has like strategically um engineered his career to to where he's only in movies that have no message so they can't possibly offend anyone and I would just love to see him which is so weird take a stand he began his career doing like Southland Tales and uh, even that like prison movie kind of had some messages to it. Now yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah. He's like, uh, th- I I do think visually they could do something interesting with a new They Live movie, especially now that you know there's 3D glasses and stuff. Like I I think having those dual realities could be kind of cool. Mm-hmm. It, 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 I don't think we've seen that kind of done in like the 3D space. Um, but, uh, let's see if this actually happens or not. As you said, it, it, it could, uh, just never materialize. But uh, that brings us to the end of today's Slash Film Daily. If you have uh, questions for us in the mailbox or if you need life advice from Chris Evangelista, send it to us at peter at slashfilm.com. Leave your name, general geographic location in case we mention them on the air. This podcast, Slash Film Daily, is published every weekday on iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please go write and read this podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends. Spread the word. And we'll see you tomorrow. We need a theme song for Chris's advice corner. We need like we a do. you know happy and uh, inspiring theme song. Maybe the listeners can make one and send it in. Yeah, yeah, if you have if you have musical talent, please record the Chris's advice corner theme song. Yeah, it needs to be like a you know a Saturday morning kids uh, kids show, right? <laughs> like, what would you want your theme song to be, Chris? Man, I don't know. It's got to be very upbeat because then they'll hear my voice and be like, oh, that was a fake out. He's not as upbeat as his music made it sound like. But it, it needs to be very positive and quick and, and very catchy. It needs to be an earworm that gets lodged in your head all day. So you're just walking around singing the, the Chris's Advice Corner theme song. So basically we want someone who's willing to write this and donate it for free to submit the next Frozen theme song right right or like the song from that thing you do make it that that. (laughs) i mean it's probably pretty easy right uh yeah for for somebody